This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome. It is great to have you here with us today on Janet Mefford Today. I recently came across a website for an emergent church that was touting the importance of inclusivity. Yes, the pastor hailed the fact that on any given week at our church, you may find yourself seated between a Presbyterian and a Pentecostal or a Baptist and Buddhist even. And then the church goes on to quote the late Dr. Peter Gomes, who incidentally was both a homosexual and the professor of Christian morals at Harvard Divinity School. And Gomes, as this church noted, made the very strong point that inclusivity is something we can find in Jesus, saying that the gospel is, quote, either an inclusive gospel or no gospel at all, close quote. Now, it's certainly true that God is calling everyone everywhere to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today, an increasing number of false teachers out there are not using the word inclusivity in that context. To them, to be inclusive really means to blindly embrace all people as and only as they are right now. These could be people with all different kinds of religions or moral systems. And they think that inclusivity should take place without right judgment, without discrimination, and basically without any calling for true repentance of sin or a bowing of the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet... Scripture tells us the opposite. It gives us not an inclusive gospel, but an exclusive gospel. It tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and tells us that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. We are only saved through Christ. And that is the exclusive gospel, which is to be preached to a world that by its very nature wants inclusiveness. The problem is many pastors today are not preaching that exclusive gospel, and it is to our detriment and even to our peril. So why and how should pastors today preach an exclusive gospel in an inclusive age such as ours? Now, that was a subject recently tackled by my next guest in Expositor Magazine, a wonderful publication of One Passion Ministries. And so joining me this hour is Dr. Stephen Lawson. He is the president of One Passion Ministries. He is also professor of preaching at the Master's Seminary and teaching fellow with Ligonier Ministries. He's the author of a number of great books, including The Daring Mission of William Tyndale. And his article for Expositor is our subject, Preaching an Exclusive Gospel in an Inclusive Age. And it's great to welcome you back, Dr. Lawson. How are you today? Oh, Janet, I always love being on your program. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, I found that that little anecdote that I shared right there at the beginning of the program to be so illustrative of what we're seeing in our pulpits largely today. Ah, you know, it's fine. A Buddhist can sit next to a Presbyterian and Jesus loves everybody and let's just all get together and hum. That sort of idea. And yet it is a deadly idea, isn't it? It is a deadly idea and it's worse than deadly. It's damning Yeah. Um, because we're all going to die. Uh, but only some will perish, and those who have not believed the true gospel of Jesus Christ will eternally perish. And so, uh, really what is at stake is the eternal destinies 
uh, of the souls of men and women. So th- there could not be a more important subject for us to be discussing today than this. I agree. Now, when we talk about the exclusive nature of the gospel, at least in the sense in which you write about in Expositor, what are we really talking about? What are we really saying when we're using that word exclusive? Well, that there is no other way to the Father except through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saying that he has an exclusive monopoly on all access to the Father uh, and into heaven. And we're saying that there is not um, a drop of saving grace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the one and only mediator between God and man. And so that's what we mean. There there are not many roads uh, leading up the mountain that, that lead up to God, uh, there are many roads to hell, but there's only one road to heaven, Amen. and that has been paved through the sinless life and substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. So when you say that the very essence of the gospel itself demands that every pulpit guard its exclusivity, what are you talking about in terms of the, the responsibility of the preacher there in the pulpit week after week in front of the congregation? What should be done in the pulpit to guard the exclusivity of the gospel? Well, it's both a positive and a negative, a positive assertion and a negative denial. And that's really what Titus 1.9 says of, of every elder and every pastor, that he must be able to teach sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Right. So it's a sharp two-edged sword that cuts both ways. So he must teach and affirm the truth of the gospel and warn and expose uh, those who would corrupt the purity of the gospel of Christ. So we both preach it as well as we we guard it. That's right. So you're really talking about a responsibility to do apologetics and also polemics. Is that the the right categorization there? Yeah. Polemics means that that you are refuting error, and there is a time and a place for every pastor to refute error. He must warn the flock of the wolves and devour the flock. Right. Right. And we, we need look no further than even the Lord Jesus Christ um, and his, uh, his teaching ministry, but we see it with Paul, we see it with Peter, with John, and certainly the Old Testament prophets. For sure. Now, when you talk about the gospel being right on the matter of the gospel being absolutely essential for the minister, to be wrong about the gospel, you say, is to be wrong everywhere else that truly matters. What does yes. that mean in practice? If you get the gospel wrong, and a lot of people listening may say, well, how, as a pastor, could you possibly get the gospel wrong? <laughs> oh, many ways, we know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, so it, give me the question again, Janet. When you are wrong about the gospel, you say that you yeah. are wrong everywhere else that truly matters. Why is there that connection between the gospel being wrong in your preaching and then, you know, that has kind of a domino effect? Well, if you're wrong about the gospel, you will have unconverted people in your church. Uh, No one can be converted by a false gospel. Uh, You can only be saved uh, with the true gospel. So if you're a pastor, uh, why is this important, number one, for you to have a converted uh, congregation, for you to shepherd 
um, actually the sheep and not merely goats. Um, Second, it affects worship. You you cannot worship a God you do not know. Um, And so you must preach the truth of the gospel for there to be true worship. Jesus said we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, It affects fellowship because in fellowship we hold in common the Lord Jesus Christ and there is no fellowship with unbelievers in the purest sense. Um, Second Corinthians says there's no, what fellowship is there between light and darkness, between Christ and Belial? Well, there can be no fellowship in a church where the gospel uh, is not preached. And then further, there can be no real evangelism that takes place in that church. There can be no reaching the world uh, with the gospel of Christ if you do not have the right gospel. Right. So you're really dead in the water with every ministry within the church, from worship all the way down to witnessing. Everything is out of alignment with, with Christ himself, who is the head of the church. That's right. Now, when you make mention of the fact that the congregation could largely be unconverted if it isn't hearing the gospel, you're touching on something very important, which is the fact that pastors cannot assume that everybody sitting in the congregation is saved. And yet, where is evangelistic preaching, by and large, throughout evangelicalism today? You think of the great men of old that you've written about extensively who are very concerned. Spurgeon is one, for example, who comes to mind, very concerned about evangelizing the people he preached to, recognizing that there were still spiritually dead people among them. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, they, they, they said that the church's first mission field is the church itself. Hmm that we would begin with our own membership, knowing that there will always be tares sown among the wheat. There will always be bad fish caught with the good fish in the same net. Uh, Paul told Timothy to preach the word in 2 Timothy 4, 2, in verse 5, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Amen. We're going to come back, Dr. Stephen Lawson with us, talking about preaching and exclusive gospel. We'll be back. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When this young mom came to a preborn center, she was planning to have an abortion. But after receiving love and support and meeting her baby on ultrasound, she chose life. 
When I walked in for the ultrasound and I saw my baby and I heard his heartbeat, my mind changed completely. I couldn't do that to my baby. I decided to keep it. Preborn partners with clinics in cities with the highest abortion rates in the country. Will you help preborn save these precious lives? When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life. And that's just the beginning of the story. I know that with support and with God by my side, I'll be able to do this, not just for me, but for my baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. It's great to have you here, and it is wonderful to have with me Dr. Stephen Lawson, who heads up One Passion Ministries. You can find them at onepassionministries.org. They also put out a terrific magazine. It's called Expositor. You can get more information at their website about Expositor. But Dr. Lawson has penned a wonderful and so critical article in that wonderful magazine about preaching an exclusive gospel in an inclusive age. Now, before we went to the break, Dr. Lawson, we were discussing the angle on this that involves the need for evangelization within the church, which seems, at least anecdotally, to have fallen on somewhat hard times. Well, it has, and we've assumed far too much that simply because someone makes a profession of Christ that they would actually possess Christ. Hmm. And we've mistaken having your name on the church roll with having your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, because the two are not synonymous. And so, unfortunately, uh, we pastors today have assumed far too much regarding uh, the regenerate nature of their church. So we must be always preaching Christ, offering Christ, and urging people to commit their life to Christ as we preach the Word. That's right. And yet, what we see in our day has been, for the last several decades at least, a great emphasis, at least in practice, on reaching people outside the church and bringing them in. That seems to be a front burner issue in, in a lot of churches. Who, how, you know, We need to bring people in, more people who don't know Christ. Bring them in, bring them in, bring them in. In the process, though, we've also seen churches bringing them in and then watering the message down. How much do you think that has impacted where we are spiritually as evangelicals? Well, it, it, it has caused us to, to lower our theological uh, convictions and soften and, and compromise, really, the message of, of Christ. We, we have neutered the gospel, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have removed the demand for repentance. We have removed the preaching of the law and, and the curse of the law. We have removed the, the narrow gate. Uh, that leads to life. We, we have removed uh, cross-bearing from uh, the first step of discipleship in following Christ. Um, we, we have made it uh, an easy path, uh, when in, in fact it, it's, it's a demanding path. Yes, it is. Uh, that the disciples understood it when, when Jesus expressed this, and they said, well, then who can be saved? Hmm. And Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And by that he meant it would take a a sovereign intervening work of God for there to be true salvation, that man cannot manipulate conversions. No. 
Right. So in other words, we need to settle upon this notion of the exclusive gospel being an incredible thing, even if you've been a Christian for two, three, four, five decades, to hear the gospel fresh again and again and again is just a reminder what a wonderful gospel we have, which is important in the connection that you've made in the article to what was going on in Galatia. And I want to talk with you a little bit about that because Paul was dealing with a situation with the church in Galatia on the issue of what the gospel really is and got quite worked up about it. Yes. In fact, Paul, this is Paul's most passionate letter. Uh, He dictated the others. With this one, he actually took pen in hand himself and, and wrote it in large letters so that the Galatians would have no trouble whatsoever reading what he has to say. And as he speaks to them, there is no opening uh, oh, I'm thankful for your love, your faith, and your hope. Uh, there is no, I've been praying for you, and, and I'm thankful to God for you. Uh, as in the other epistles, in this case, Paul is not thankful no. for what's going on with the Galatians. Uh, as he sees their capitulation and their compromise uh, of the gospel, because Paul understands what is at stake when you surrender the high ground of the purity of the gospel. Uh, that souls will perish. And so as Paul begins his letter in Galatians 1, uh, he is, he's, he's worked up. Uh, there's a righteous indignation uh, within Paul. Uh, he minces no words, and he's breathing holy fire, quite frankly. Yes. Um, and is shocked at the Galatians. Right. That they have fallen away so quickly from the truth uh, by which they were saved. Well, that's right. They had fallen prey to the works righteousness gospel, which Paul calls no gospel at all, that the Judaizers were influencing them to believe. What was the distinction between what the Judaizers were preaching and what uh, Paul was preaching, the true gospel? Well, the the distinction was the the Judaizers were trying to put uh, their audience back under the law in the sense that they would have to be circumcised and follow the other uh, parts of the Mosaic Law in order, one, to be converted, and then two, for those who were already converted, which there were in Galatia, to make this a part of their sanctification, that in order to grow as a Christian, that one would also have to come under uh, these aspects of the Mosaic Law that were fulfilled in Christ and in his death. And so they were insisting that even the believers had to be circumcised, and that even the believers had to now give uh, obedience to the minutia parts of the Mosaic Law that were no longer in effect. So it had become a works righteousness, one for salvation, and then two for sanctification. Right. Right. Now, Paul, as you mentioned, had absolutely no patience with this. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Other translations say cursed or be, let them be condemned or let them be damned. Uh, that's yeah. that's not, uh, you know, church happy talk. That's not very secret friendly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think yeah, he'd really get a smile. God loves you and it's a wonderful plan for your life. No, no, it. 
and many people will look at that and sort of gloss over it and say, oh, but, you know, apostle shouldn't talk like that. Why would an apostle talk like that? That's really, really, condem- you know, condemning these Christians. They just made an innocent mistake. Why was why was he so mad at this aspect of believing a gospel and then turning from it, believing the gospel, I should say, and then turning from it back to works of the law and trying to combine those? Well, Paul understood that for unbelievers to sit under this message, it, it would it would damn their souls, that they would continue in the state of perishing. So he understood that the eternal destruction of precious souls was at stake, and he also understood that it would that, that there would be the spiritual retarding of growth in those who were truly saved. Right. And so on both accounts, it's as Martin Luther said, Paul is breathing fire. Um, his zeal, Luther says, is so fervent that he almost causes uh, the angels to blush. Wow. Um, Paul is responding as we should respond. Uh, there is no room for neutrality when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being corrupted or polluted. Absolutely. You, because you, there's no distinction between Christ and the gospel. That's right. To corrupt the gospel is to corrupt Christ. That's right. And to desert the gospel, as you said, is to desert God. Well, that's what this text says. And Paul says this to the believers, that, that I'm shocked that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've gone AWOL in, in spiritual warfare. I mean, you, you have deserted the camp. That's right. Now, this is an interesting thing to put into a modern context because we have a lot of nuance in our day. We have a lot of con- <laughs> we have a lot. You might have noticed, Dr. Lawson, there's a lot of nuance yeah. out there. There are a lot of conversations and reaching out and we need to contextualize the gospel. And there's a lot of, you know, sort of toning it down. We don't want it to be too offensive. We want to build bridges and blah, blah, blah. I'm not against reaching out to people to to make Christ known to them, but where does that impulse go wrong in light of what we learn in Galatians? Well, what it does, that, that kind of talk, um, it gives a false hope and a false assurance to people that they are saved or that they're sitting under the truth. The fact is, Paul will say later in this very, uh, in this very book, that the world has been crucified to me, and I'm crucified to the world. Meaning I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me, because I stand on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, There is an offense to the cross. That doesn't mean we're to be needlessly offensive, but the most offensive message, strangely enough, is the good news of Jesus Christ, because it is a rebuke to people's pride, to their self-righteousness, Uh, It's a rebuke to every other religion that there is, that there is only one way of salvation. Um, It's it's an offensive message, even though it is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is Because it implies the bad news. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of an old Christian song I I used to listen to all the time, and and one of the lyrics was, Truth may be offensive to the sinner, but it's the only thing that's going to set him free. So, absolutely correct. Yeah, if we don't preach the offense of the cross 
uh, the true gospel, the exclusive gospel that God uses to save sinners, then what are we doing in church at all? That I mean, that increasingly a lot of uh, people I run into are asking that question. If I'm not hearing Christ preach, if I'm not hearing the gospel being preached, and it's all jokes or anecdotes or 10 steps for better living, this sort of thing, why am I here? I'm hearing that from people. Yeah, well, you're just in a glorified country club is what you're in. Uh, you're just in a spiritual uh, little social group that that has no basis of existence uh, in the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's yeah. why Paul said, we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the very heart of his message. And if you don't have the heart of the message, you don't have the message. No, you don't. And and for many people, unfortunately, who may be going to church, they don't know what they're missing. But we're going to come back. Dr. Stephen Lawson, preaching an exclusive gospel in an inclusive age. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford today. It's great to have you here, and it's great to be talking with Dr. Stephen Lawson from One Passion Ministries. He's written a wonderful article, and all the articles are wonderful in Expositor Magazine put out by One Passion, but this one is entitled Preaching an Exclusive Gospel in an Inclusive Age. One of the things you mentioned, Dr. Lawson, is with some preachers that we will hear today, there's a place for the cross. In other words, there's a place for the gospel. There's a place to talk about Christ being crucified and rising from the dead after three days, but no preaching of the primacy and centrality of the cross. What is the difference between mentioning the gospel and making the gospel absolutely primary and central? Well, if the gospel is not primary, it's peripheral. And if it's peripheral, it's discounted. Um, It is moved to a secondary place of importance. Uh, If that, uh, it becomes really just an addendum uh, at the end of the service or at the end of the sermon, when in reality, uh, the entire sermon should be in one way or another pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so it, it's not always just what you say, it's also what you don't say hmm. that's so dangerous. Right. And so when you move the cross uh, to the sidelines in your preaching or in the church, uh, your silence is deafening. Uh, the, the lack of preaching the gospel is, is almost the same as being against the gospel. Um, I mean, you're either for it or against it, and if you're not preaching it, then you're definitely not for it. Yeah. Boy, and that's really food for thought. And let's talk a little bit about what we are seeing today, some of the trends we're seeing today in preaching where the exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ is not primary and is not central. For example, you talk about the deniers of the Trinity. We do have people today who are somewhat accepted as evangelical Christians and evangelical preachers who are not 
believers in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost being three persons but one God. Why does that matter? Somebody might say, why does that matter? As long as, long as they're talking about Jesus dying. Yeah, yeah. Because you have just denied the deity of Jesus Christ. You have denied the sufficiency of his substitutionary death upon the cross. When, when you give up the Trinity, you give up the high ground of the deity of Christ and the finality and sufficiency of his atoning death at the cross. You can't have it both ways. Either Jesus Christ was fully God, and as the God-man died uh, a death that only he could have died bearing our sins upon the cross, either you have that or you have a Christ who is not God and who died simply as a moral example uh, to us. So if, if, if you deny the Trinity, you are denying the deity of Jesus Christ. You are denying uh, the, the power of the gospel. It's all interwoven. It and is. at the same time, you deny the Holy Spirit as well, who alone can apply the saving work of Christ to the hearts of people, or certainly deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. So we contend for the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints, which is there is one God, who exists in three persons, who are co-equal and co-eternal. Amen. So Keep not, going. I love it. It's <laughs> not one God and who wears three different hats. Yeah. It's three persons uh, who are distinct, yet they are co-equal and co-eternal, and they are one God, three persons. That's right. Now, what will happen, though, is the semantics can get confusing, especially for young Christians. You will hear some of these deniers of the Trinity throwing around terms like Jesus is a manifestation of God. He is one part of God. And another manifestation would be God the Father and the Spirit is. And if you really don't have any familiarity with Scripture on the one hand or the Athanasian Creed on the other, you might get a little bit uh, snookered there if you want to say it that way. Oh, well, that sounds pretty good. Manifestation of God. Yeah, close enough. But why isn't yeah. that close enough? Well, it's not close enough because, uh, I mean, it's Eastern mysticism that, that has crept in to, to that kind of thinking. Jesus is more than just a manifestation of God. We are contending what Scripture teaches, that Jesus is God. Right. Uh, there's a difference between just being a manifestation of God and actually being God. Yeah. So we, we, we believe there are two distinct persons, the Father and the Son, yet they are both God. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. It's abundantly clear. It is clear. It's clear as mud to some people and clear as day to us. And it needs to be proclaimed again and again and again because you always have new people coming in the church who need to be taught this doctrine. It's so funny when I was listening to you talk about, uh, the, you know, the, the Trinity and how the Bible defines the Trinity and the distinctions and the, the co-equal status of Father, Son and Holy Spirit and yet three persons. I thought to myself, there are so many Christians who could not say what you just said. Doesn't this go back to the problem of what is going on in the pulpit, that the, the, the well, sheep are not being discipled and trained to understand that truth. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's why we contend for expository preaching, which is biblical preaching, is exegetical preaching, is theological preaching, is doctrinal teaching. Uh, it, it's not just some deathbed stories and a few uh, jokes and a poem. 
but that we actually are teaching theology. Yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that what is true preaching? He says it is theology on fire. Mm. And, and that's what is needed to be recovered again in the pulpit, is for our pulpits to be on fire with theology mm. and, and preaching the great doctrinal truths of, of the Bible. I mean, the, the saints of old who were burned at the stake as martyrs, they were dying for doctrinal convictions. Yes. I mean, Bloody Mary was, was martyring people because they had a different view of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, we have so drifted, we now are virtually off-theological. We are. Yeah. Meaning no, no theology. Right. Right. And it would seem very absurd to the modern Christian in many contexts to hear about people who would die over points of doctrine. They'd say, why would you lose your life over that? And, and I suppose the retort from that old martyr would be, you just don't understand how important it is. That's very true. That's very true. For example, just take the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters is doctrine. The last three chapters is duty or Christian living. Yes. But there's no way you can live your Christian life until you have the first three chapters, until you understand who God is and what God has done for you in Christ to accomplish your salvation. The book of Romans is the same as well. The first 11 chapters are doctrine. Yep. Yep. Uh, the last, you know, 12 through 16 are how to live the Christian life. Everything in the Bible on how to live the Christian life is built upon the firm foundation of sound doctrine. Exactly. So when we, speaking of unsound doctrine, we, you, t- you mentioned in your article the deniers of hell. We talked about the deniers of the Trinity. There are also the deniers of hell. Probably the best known one would be Rob Bell, former megachurch pastor, now oh. best friend of Oprah. He's, he's gone on to great, great, uh, you know, platform possibilities with Oprah Winfrey. He has been held up by the secular media as just, you know, the the greatest hero ever because he's just so nuanced. This is deadly for people because they'll look at Rob Bell and they'll think he's cool and Oprah likes him. The deniers of how what is the connection between denying an exclusive gospel and ending up denying the doctrine of hell? Well, if you you if you believe that Jesus is God, who became the God man, who entered this world to seek and to save that which is lost, that the world is perishing and will eternally perish. And by the way, Jesus had more to say about hell than any other preacher in the Bible, and he had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. Um, And if you deny that Jesus came to rescue uh, sinners who were perishing and who would suffer eternal destruction, you, you have totally misunderstood, and even now bring opposition to the very reason that Jesus Christ came into this world. That's the point. I mean, point. He, he came to save us from something, and it wasn't bad self-esteem or, didn't, or being lonely. He <laughs> came to save us from God himself. Oh, he great came to point. save us from the wrath of God. He did. Hang on a moment. Dr. Lawson will be back on Janet Meffer today, right after this.
from Affirm Films comes the Kendrick Brothers' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous take moviegoers on a cinematic journey that invites you to think differently about your earthly father and how you relate to God through five true stories. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. And this is really him. This is really him. Show Me the Father. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters Friday. More information is available at showmethefathermovie.com. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We're back on Janet Mefford today. Great to have you here. We are discussing preaching an exclusive gospel in an inclusive age. A wonderful article from Expositor Magazine put out by One Passion Ministries. And we are talking with the head of One Passion Ministries, Dr. Stephen Lawson. You said something so important before we went to that break, Dr. Lawson, and that is those who deny hell are denying what Jesus was saving us from, namely the wrath of God. And when it comes down to it, he was saving us from God himself, from the justice, the just wrath of God. That's exactly right. And unless we understand that, we really don't, do not understand the gospel at all. Yep. Uh, that's why the book of Romans begins with, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. That's really where the the gospel begins in Paul's treatise to the Romans. Uh, The good news is not good news until you know what the bad news is. Mm -hmm. And and the bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is the wages of sin is death. The bad news is, is that all outside of Christ are under the wrath of God and and are facing an eternity in hell in the lake of fire and, and brimstone. That's right. And Christ has come into this world to deliver sinners from that destruction, to rescue sinners from eternal ruin. That that's why he came. And so to fail to understand that is really to fail to understand the very heart of the gospel uh, itself. And and so that's really where Paul even begins his his presentation of the gospel, and that Christ propitiated 
the wrath of God in his death upon the cross, meaning he satisfied the vengeance of God towards those for whom he died. Mm-hmm. And how cruel would it have been if there is no hell? Why would Jesus have to go through what he went through? It, it doesn't well, it, yet. It, it's, a, it's a blasphemous thought. Very. It, it's, it's, it's spiritual insanity. Well, it really is. So, Dr. Lawson, when we're talking about preaching that exclusive gospel, the Reformers use the word alone as a central word when they were preaching the gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Uh, We get a little nuanced sometimes with this word alone. Well, you know, close enough, Catholics, Protestants, you know, Eastern Orthodox, they're all basically the same. We know that historically and biblically speaking, that is not the case. But when we get a hold of this exclusive gospel, what does that do to preaching, if you're preaching in a, a text, for example, from the Old Testament, how does the exclusive gospel come into play in the pulpit in a way that will transform lives? Well, if you're preaching from the Old Testament, the way it, you're transformed is you understand that there's only one way of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. That there wasn't an Old Testament way to be saved, and then there's a different New Testament way to be saved. And it also underscores that there wasn't one way for the Jew to be saved, and now there's a different way for the Gentile to be saved. No, there's only one way of salvation from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end, and it's what you just said. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Whether one was looking ahead to the coming of Christ, or now we are looking back to that first coming of Christ, it's still the one same message. And so, as you preach the Old Testament, as you just mentioned, um, people were saved by faith alone. That's how Abraham was, was saved. In Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Sure. That's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Yes, it is. So no one has ever worked their way to a place of, of earning acceptance with God. Uh, it's all by grace. It's a free gift received only by by a repentant faith. It is. Now, when you talk about Galatians again and, and refer back to those passages where Paul is really giving them a hard time, and rightly so with that uh, righteous anger that he had over the embracing of a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, he refers to the fact that he's only trying to please God with his preaching. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ, so says Paul. This is something I think pastors probably wrestle with more than the average congregation will realize. Trying to keep the congregation happy, but also recognizing you have a responsibility before God that is higher than anything else. What do you say to young preachers or older preachers who are feeling convicted on this matter about the need to preach, as they say, for an audience of one and to trust the Lord with the results? Yeah, well, I'll put it very simply. If you please God, it does not matter whom you displease. And if you displease God, it does not matter whom you please. So ministry in preaching is very simple. You please God, and you trust Him for the results. Now, that does not mean that we are to be unloving or unkind. It does not mean that we do not need uh, feedback from people who are in our flock. Um, it, it does not mean that, but it does mean we are not running a popularity contest. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a doctor, physician, before he went into ministry, and he said, when I was a physician, I never let the patient write the prescription. 
And the same is true in ministry. Uh, We who are called by God to be physicians of the soul, uh, we do not allow the patient, meaning the the person in the pew, to write the prescription. Uh, That's to be the responsibility of the under-shepherd, the one who is the pastor. So what I would say to young ministers is preach the Word and to seek the, the, the approval of God, His approbation. And on the last day, we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for every aspect of our ministry as, as a steward would to his master, and we will give an account for every message, every sermon that we have preached, and we'll not be standing before uh, the elder board, we'll not be standing before the charter member of the church, we'll not be standing before the, the little old lady on second back pew. We will be standing before the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we must give an account to him. It's a higher accountability. That's why James 3 1 says, Let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, knowing as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. So that that should sober um, every preacher who steps into the pulpit that we're handling God's word we're preaching God's truth, and we'll give an account to God's Son on the last day. Very well said. And, you know, this is why I think your ministry is so important, Dr. Lawson, and and your magazine, Expositor. And I wanted to give you, as we just have a few minutes left, a chance to tell people a little bit about the magazine itself, uh, your article that we've been discussing this hour called Preaching an Exclusive Gospel in an Inclusive Age. But your passion is preaching. Your passion is preaching Christ and encouraging men across the country and, and beyond to preach Christ. This is what really drives you. I know from having spent time with you, this is what is really important and, and is the heart of your ministry. What do you see on the horizon right now as you're speaking with men and seeing what's going on? Well, I, I see that there is a, a, a movement uh, among those who are in their 20s and 30s uh, who are wanting to come back to the preaching of the Word of God. Um, I think they have seen the, the bankruptcy of what I would call kind of bumper sticker sermons, little trite sermons, the message would sit on a, on a bumper sticker. Uh, they're wanting to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and they're wanting to preach the full counsel of God. Not all are actually trained well to do that, and they end up mimicking uh, other examples that they've had. So the desire is there. Uh, they need to be trained in the skill of expository preaching. And so that's why we have started our ministry, One Passion, uh, to hold conferences around the country and overseas uh, to train men in in expository preaching, which is biblical preaching. Wonderful. And that's the focus of our magazine. And I have, uh, it comes out every other month. I have an article in it. John MacArthur has an article. We've had R.C. Sproul, Al Mohler, John Piper, Mark Dever. Uh, just an endless number, I think, of world-class expositors um, to contribute articles to, to sharpen our swords uh, in this matter of preaching the Word. Well, at such a time as this, it is 
ever so much more important to have that effort taking place. And, and we're just very grateful to God for your ministry. And I want to shout out OnePassionMinistries.org. This is where you can find out more about One Passion and also find out more about the, the importance of preaching an exclusive gospel in an inclusive age. It has been, once again, a total privilege and honor to have with me Dr. Stephen Lawson. Dr. Lawson, keep up the good work. We pray for you and are so thankful for your ministry. And thank you again for being here on Janet Meffer today. Oh, thank you, Janet. It's wonderful to be with you. You keep up the good work, too. All right. God bless you, and thanks a lot, Dr. Lawson. Thanks so much for being with us. We're delighted to have you here. Delighted that you're tuning in. Our website is JanetMeffer.com. This hour of Janet Meffer today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th.